Erev Tov, good evening. We are in the first page of Masechet Berachot, the first Mishnah. We left off last week with a piece of Ben Ishchai that we did not finish in the Ben Yehoyada. That's in the classwork section of the Google Classroom. Let's do this together because I want to bring up a new idea today that we haven't yet discussed. Now when I was going through the Mishnah and I was telling you different understandings of different words, and I told you on some words, even eight different understandings of that word. I intentionally omitted this piece because I wanted us to do it inside. But it touches on something that we spoke about earlier, which is a halachic point, but will send us down the road of something that is worthy of being discussed in a class on Agadatah. So if you're in the Ben Yehoyada file, it's going to be on the second page of the PDF. Uh, it should say, a little aleph at the bottom left of the page. There should be a little aleph as a page number on the bottom left of the page. And I'm in the last paragraph in the left column. Ben Yehoyada. Says the Ben Yishchai the following words. We said in the Mishnah, from when do we read Shema in the evening? Me'ematai korin Shema ba'aravin. And the first thing the Talmud tells us is From the moment in which the Kohanim enter to eat their Teumah. And we discussed at length, enter from where? What does entering mean? Some said entering from a state of impurity to purity. Some said entering physically, the Ben Mikdash. Everyone had a different answer there. Let's see what the Ben Ishchai writes. Makshim, they ask a question. And that is my son at Safta's house. Shalom al-Khanan. I hope you're enjoying your sleepover. Shalom. Makshim, they ask a question. It should have said from the moment in which the Kohanim enter to eat Tiruma. So why does it say instead when they come to eat their Tiruma? What is the word tirumatan, their tirumah? As opposed to when the kohanim come to eat their tirumah, now it's saying they come to eat their tirumah. Why not just when kohanim come to eat tirumah? And whereas we mentioned a few answers then, he's going to repeat one of them. appears to me, based on what the tzlach wrote, we quoted the tzlach, and you'll remember him in just a moment. Even though it's forbidden according to halakha for a person to eat any food once the time of Kiret Shema has arrived, it's possible that maybe the Kohanim are permitted to eat their Tehumah before they recite Shema. Why? Kevan Sha'achilat. Because the mitzvah of eating tehumah is not the same as you eating dinner or me having a, a, a snack. The mitzvah of eating tehumah is a mitzvah. And for that reason, the kohanim are coming to eat bitumatan, their tehumah, meaning it's something that they are allowed to eat even though everyone else is going to now recite kiriyachma. Our kohanim are allowed to eat their tehumah because it's a mitzvah meal that they are eating. Remember, this was the famous tzlach who said that a kohen is allowed to eat his food before the time for kriyat
Look there. The Benish Chai says, but I still have a question. That might be true. It could be true that eating the Tiruma is as, it's doing a mitzvah, like any other of the things you do in the Ben Mikdash. But nonetheless, my chazit lahagdima al mitzvah kirechma deoraita. Uma tam yesh lahagdima. We understand that eating tiruma is a mitzvah. That wasn't the question. The question is why does the mitzvah of tiruma push off the biblical commandment, the Torah commandment of reading kirechma? We understand that tiruma is a mitzvah. We're not arguing that tiruma is not a mitzvah. The question is why though does the mitzvah of eating your tiruma push off the mitzvah of reading Kirachma as soon as the three stars come out. That's the question of the Ben Chai. So I agree with that stach that it's a mitzvah. I don't understand though why it's pushing off Kirachma. Listen to his answer. Venirali, it appears to me, Dechol mitzvah shushayecha rak etzel, on the next page, rak etzel bnei adam pratim, velo shayecha bechol adam. I think in today's Hebrew we write shayechet. Any mitzvah that is applicable to one specific person, and it's not a general mitzvah, it's not one that all the people are commanded in, becomes more chaviv. Listen to this word, chaviv. In Arabic you have a word, chabibi. Yeah, you say, chaviv, precious, dear. What does it mean? When I have a mitzvah that's unique to me, it's not an everybody mitzvah, it's not a public mitzvah, it's my mitzvah. I'm a Kohen. I eat Tehumah. That's my mitzvah. It's not your mitzvah. So yes, I have two mitzvot that are coming at once. Both of which I'm obligated in. But one is unique to me. One is specific to me as a Kohen. And one is a general mitzvah for everybody else. Says the Ben Ishchai, that when a mitzvah is unique to a person, it's special to that person, it has a certain level of chavivut, of endearness. Is that a word? Of dearness to a person. Because the eating of Tiruma is specifically applicable to Kohanim only, because of that, it's more precious to them, it's more dear to them than the mitzvah of Shema Yisrael, which is, which is relevant to everybody. And that's the reason why they eat Tiruma before they say their Shema. And this was the intention of the Tana, the author of the Mishnah, when he wrote, that they're eating their Tehuma, not just Tehuma, it's their Tehuma. Ritzonon Omar is intended to teach you, this is not a Tehuma Mitzvah, this is their Tehuma Mitzvah. It's unique to them. This is their motivation to indulge in this mitzvah before indulging in the mitzvah of Kriyachma. This is basic human psychology. When I'm special, I like being special. This is my mitzvah. There's a Kohen, comes to Berakhneset. The whole thing they live for is to say Berkat Kohanim. So you say, well, why do you only show up for Berkat Kohanim? You don't show up, well, because it's my mitzvah. It's more precious to me. That mitzvah is unique to me. There are certain people who are attached to one mitzvah over another mitzvah for whatever reason. Therefore, that mitzvah normally takes precedence over other things in their life. This is normal. This is the Ben that this lesson here 
that we're being taught from the word bitumatan, from their tiruma, is that mitzvot that are unique to a person, they're specific to a person. The person takes those mitzvot more seriously, is closer, more dear to them than other mitzvot which are generic. What do you think about that? You accept the idea? I can't hear. If someone's talking, I can't hear you. Yes, Marlene agrees. Did you ask a question or didn't hear it? I, it was an answer, not a question. I agree with it. Yeah, Baruch agrees. Okay, so let, let's explain the idea maybe in a more oh, pop. Would, would there be a challenge that would not tend to make sort of the law is arbitrary based on a person's interpretation? That's very good. So I don't think here we're talking about pushing off one halakha for another halakha. But in terms of what is more dear to you. So this is something we happen to us every Friday night. Why do we cover the chala at the Shabbat table on Friday night? Don't tell me because the, the bread is going to be embarrassed. If you tell me that, I'm going to have to throw in the towel. Don't tell me that. Why do you cover the bread on Friday night when you make Hiddush? So you don't eat the bread first? Very good. No, that's the answer. According to halakha, bread takes precedence over wine. Now you make hidush on wine because wine is more important. But what if like me, I prefer the bread more than I prefer the wine. I don't like wine. I don't like alcohol at all. So the, are you allowed to do kiddush over bread? Can you recite kiddush over a loaf of bread? Yes. Yes. What happens if you don't have wine? It's Friday night. You don't have wine. What do you do? But how do you do Kiddush on the bread? What's the order? You come home, you sing whatever songs you sing, then what's the next step? Because normally you do Kiddush and then go wash and then eat your bread. What do you do on Friday night when you don't have uh, Kiddush? You go wash your hands. You come back to the table. Very good. You hold the loaves of bread. Then, you do the second bracha and then you eat the bread. So you literally do kiddush on the bread. Our chachamim wanted to make sure that you wouldn't do kiddush on the bread. It's there in front of you. And therefore we cover the bread. So this is something that is real. There are halachot that if something is more dear to you, you use that for the mitzvah. That's a real halakha. So yes, there are certain things that are subjective over objective. There are questions and laws of berachot. You're eating something that's mixed with something else. So I'm not giving you now an answer. But the, the famous chocolate-covered raisin. Which bracha do you recite on a chocolate-covered raisin? Do you eat it for the chocolate? Do you eat it for the raisin? What, what kind of person are you? Uh, so that, that leads to a question. To what are you really making a bracha on? What's your, what's your main motivation of eating that? Maran has a halakha in Shulchan Aruch where people were eating ice cream with very thin wafers. Don't think cones like you have fancy ice cream cones. Maybe it's more similar to what they call uh, sugar cones. They taste like styrofoam that is edible. So in that situation, how many people are eating that ice cream in order to eat the cone? Really, the cone's purpose is only to hold the ice cream. That's why it's there. It's not really a food item in its own right. And because of that, those halakhot may change. So this is a very real thing. So David, you bring up a good point. I don't know that arbitrary is the right word, but there are certain mitzvot where there is a level of, of subjectiveness to them. 
you may choose to do something one way over another because of what you prefer. So now that we've established that certain mitzvot are more dear to people because they're unique to them, our Chachamim are teaching us a whole concept of what we're going to call from now on Chibuv Mitzvah, the endearment of a mitzvah. Let me tell you a story. Many moons ago, I was the rabbi in a different community, not, not this one. And we had a visiting rabbi who came into the kina. Visiting rabbis come in two forms. Those who have midot and those who don't have midot. That's the bottom line. That's the, really how it works. And in my career as being a rabbi, whenever I've had guests who have been uh, visiting rabbis, I always hope that the people that come are going to have good midot. And I make it my goal when I go somewhere else to always have good midot. What are good midot as a rabbi? You're coming into someone else's community. So I go visit a friend in, in London or a friend in South Africa or a friend in wherever else it's going to be, in Seattle, in New York, in Yerushalayim, wherever it's going to be. I come to the Bet Knesset. I don't care that you saw me on YouTube. I don't care that you have a halachic question from the Shiviti Forum. Right now, in this place, in this time, the master of this place is the rabbi of the community. I don't answer halachic questions out broad. It's not my community. That's his community. It's his obligation. You are obligated to listen to the rulings of the rabbi in this community. I'm, not, I'm just a visitor here. When he asked to give a derasha, Rabbi, I know you prepared derasha, you're here the whole year, why should I replace your derasha? If you want to make an optional derasha later, people can choose to come to, fine. I don't want to replace your derasha. I insist, fine. You insist that I share the derasha? When I go up to share the derasha, the first thing that I, comes out of my mouth is to endear this community's rabbi onto the community. To show them that we respect your rabbi, so you better respect your rabbi. We don't. Yes. It is very consistent, very consistent with that, though it's slightly different because let's argue that in some places these people are not my rabbi, so I could technically uh, share what I want, but it's, it's a matter of respect. In this place, if the rabbi stands up for the chadudi, I'm going to stand with him, he's going to sit, I'm going to sit, whatever it's going to be, this is their community. So we had a rabbi come and he was the type who didn't have midot, that was the type who came. I was used to that because there were a lot of people who didn't have midot. Uh, so those kind of people attract people who have no midot. And this rabbi came to the community, and you should see the look of horror on this rabbi's face. It doesn't make a difference that this rabbi is later guilty of stealing tens of thousands of dollars from other people or charging astronomical, sum, astronomical sums for doing gear for people. What, how much money for a conversion? Well over $180,000 for a conversion. You can imagine such a thing. But here, in my kila, he was self-righteous. Came in, what did he see? What happened? We take the Torah out of the Aron HaKodesh, and there's a man who's carrying the Torah. He walks by the ladies' section, and all the ladies come and kiss the Sefer Torah, and then he takes the Torah over to the Bima. And this rabbi lost it. Stealing is one thing. Letting women kiss the Sefer Torah? How dare you? Made a, threw a fit. I, 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 it was such a commotion. Afterwards, he came over to me, you, you're an imposter, you claim you're a student of Rabbi Yaakov Peretz, and Rabbi Yaakov Peretz would never approve of such a thing. Okay. I finished uh, my conversation with him, and you know, at this point, this rabbi was a very famous rabbi, and I said, 
Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I missed something. Maybe I mean, Peretz, I've never, he doesn't really have a bit of Knesset in the style of an American community. Maybe he wouldn't do such a thing in his own bit of Knesset. I called Hava Peretz. I'll never forget this phone call. I called Hava Peretz. I said, Hava Peretz, you know, we take out the Seva Torah in our community and we bring it over to the ladies' section so all the ladies can kiss the Seva Torah. And there was silence on the end of the phone. And here I'm thinking to myself, Either I just said something so horrific right now that I'm going to get a smicha a retraction letter in the mail. Or I don't know what's going to happen. And our place is quiet. He says, yeah, I'm waiting for the problem. I said, well, that's the problem, no? He said, what's the problem? He said, we had a rabbi who came and he said, how dare we? Our place said, you know, that's a mitzvah. There's a mitzvah, chibuv mitzvah. When a sevot Torah comes out, you have to go kiss a sevot Torah. The people in, there's better, people in the Bethlehem, when the Torah comes out, they don't go kiss the Torah. They don't walk with the Torah. They don't hug the Torah. He says, those people are bad people. He says, but when the Seva Torah comes out, to go kiss the Seva Torah, not just to, for the Seva Torah to come to you, you go to the Seva Torah, follow the Seva Torah, walk with the Seva Torah. He said, this is Chibu Mitzvah. We show our love to the Mitzvah. He said, how dare somebody ask that you deny the woman in the community the opportunity to also show Chibu Mitzvah. He said, which halachic problem is there in this? And at this point, I said, listen, Rabbi, do you want to hear what he said? He said, yeah. What, what, what did he say? As the rabbi said, the, the man walks with the Seva Torah, and all those ladies, because they're all trying to kiss the Seva Torah, some of them kiss him also. They, by accident, they kiss him. Halapel said, this is the stupidest thing he heard in his life. He said, so if you want, just tell the guy to make sure when he goes to Torah, he doesn't kiss anybody in the ladies' section. So what kind of ludicrous conversation did you have with this rabbi? I felt so good afterwards. When I came back and I began researching the whole topic of chibuv mitzvah, what is, it, what is really the category of showing endearment to, to mitzvot? What's the whole, what, what really are you, what are the boundaries? Where, what ways do we show our chibuv mitzvah to things? And I think that the Ben Yishchai is telling you the Kohanim, their mitzvah of Tehumah is so precious to them that it even pushed off their recitation of Kriyat Shema until a later time. And so tonight I want to discuss with you a little bit about the mitzvah of Chibuv mitzvah, of, of endearing, finding mitzvah to be dear to us and things that we can do in order to make mitzvah dear to us. There's a source that I didn't copy for you. I just want to read you the question. Uh, one of the first sets of Sephardic books that I ever bought in my life. I can't count anymore how many I bought after that, but one of the first sets that I bought in my life, I bought used in the yeshiva. It was the mitzvah, uh, it was the book of um, Rav Palim. Rav Palim is the response of the Benishchai. So here you have a number of volumes of halachic questions and answers. There's even in the back uh, a shelot v'tshuvot, a responsa in Kabbalah. So if you ever wanted to know how you ask a question in Kabbalah and get an answer in Kabbalah, the, the first question in that book is, Rabbi, I'm a very simple Jew. I am really not a Talmud Chacham. I just am a regular guy who learns Torah every day and prays every day. And I, I read Zohar every day. And when I read the Zohar, I come across this term of sanctifying Hashem's name by unifying the Yudke with the Vavke and the Shechinte. He says, I don't even know what I'm saying, Rabbi. Can you please explain to me in very simple terms what that means? And the Benishchai responds. And he says, let me explain to you in very simple terms what that means. The letter goes on for some 14 or 15 pages explaining in very simple terms what this means. But this was the, the class of people living in Baghdad at the time. Here's the question. 
The question that Ben Ishchai gets asked in Rav Pa'alim, in the second volume of Yoreda, Shela Lamedhe, question 35. The Ben Ishchai is asked, Shela, I have a question. Echad shuhu yodea lamul. Vuhu mohel kavua lamul ayladim shebair. There's one man, he knows how to do Brit Milah, and he's the regular Mohel in the town. Today I met a Mohel. I was walking in Coronado and I bumped into a Mohel. Not from San Diego, visiting. He said he could do between 10 to 20 Britot a week. And that's, he doesn't get paid for doing Milah. That's not his job. He has a business. He goes to work every day at 11. All the Brit Milah he does from 6 o'clock in the morning till 11 o'clock in the morning. So this man is a regular mohel. And now his wife is pregnant. And what does he want to do? He wants that in the event that his wife gives birth to a boy, he would like to appoint someone else to be the mohel for his son. Why? Why? Because he really wants to be the sandak. Who's the sandak? Very good. The one who holds the child, right? The one who holds the child. He really wants to be the sandak. And you should know that in many communities, especially the Sephardic community, the honor of being sandak is uh, the highest honor you could be asked. And so he really wanted this mitzvah of being the sandak and he was so much so he was willing to give away his mitzvah whose mitzvah is it to circumcise the son not the mohels whose mitzvah the father at the brit milah of my sons I told the mohel I am appointing you as my shaliach that you should do brit milah for me he wants to hold the baby on his lap so the other mohel could do the brit milah. And he wants to know if he's allowed, is he allowed to offer the mitzvah of milah to somebody else so that he can be a sandak. Or maybe because he knows how to do brit milah, then he's not allowed to give the mitzvah to somebody else. Because we have a law in the Talmud, it comes from Masechet Kiddushin. Masechet Kiddushin says that it's a mitzvah for a person to do a mitzvah on his own than to give the mitzvah to someone else to do for him. In every mitzvah, you should try to be the one to do it yourself. Yorenu, please Rabbi, teach us the halakha, and they should reward you twofold from heaven. This is a common Sephardic blessing. You should be paid back twofold from Shammai. So here's the question. I'm a Mohel. My son is about to be born. And I want to know, am I able to give away my mitzvah of Brit Milah to somebody else so that I can be a Sandak? Or is it that just like the Talmud says in Masechet Kiddushin, that if you are able to perform a mitzvah, it's better for you to do the mitzvah than to delegate that mitzvah to somebody else. So the Ben Shai spends a terrific amount of time here dealing with this question. And really he needs to come down to the root of why is it a better mitzvah 
two people can give tzedakah. You can give tzedakah or you can give money to somebody else to do tzedakah for you. Why is it really that much better that you should do the mitzvah of tzedakah than appointing somebody else to do the mitzvah for you? When you appoint someone else to do the mitzvah, do you get the mitzvah also? Yes, of course you do. Of course you do. So then what's the big deal? Who cares if I'm giving the $100 to somebody or my, uh, my uh, employee is giving the $100 to somebody? It's better you do it yourself. Why? What, I mean, what's the value in that? What, what is the reasoning behind that? Very good. Says the Ben Chai. The Ben Chai writes this exactly. And he says this whole idea seems to be based off of chibuv mitzvah. That you want to show that you love this mitzvah. You love this mitzvah, so I want to do it myself. I delegate things that I don't like to do. But things that I like to do, I want to do it myself. I don't pay other people to go on vacation for me. I do I vacation myself. I don't push off the things that I like to do to other people. I do it myself. The stuff that I don't like to do, I delegate to other people. The, the, the idea behind them, this concept of it's better to do a mitzvah yourself than give it to somebody else is really this idea of chibuv mitzvah. That you should show that you love a mitzvah, that you desire a mitzvah. And he goes now into a whole halachic conversation that lasts many, 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 many pages. And comes to the conclusion, whatever conclusion it comes to is not relevant. I'm not giving a halakha class tonight. But the Ben Ishchai is sharing with us in a different writing of his, in the book of Talim, that the, you find another practical case of chibuv mitzvah when you have an opportunity to do a mitzvah on your own. And you can either do it on your own or you can delegate it to somebody else. So who should do it? What's the better way to do it is that you should do it on your own. Any mitzvah that you can do on your own, do it on your own. Why give it to somebody else? Show that you love this mitzvah. Show that you appreciate this mitzvah. I sent you a number of sources uh, in a source sheet. If you go to the Google Classroom, in the classwork section, there should be a whole document titled Chibuv uh, Mitzvah. I don't know if you see that. Chibuv Mitzvah. It's uh, written by a certain Rabbi Aryeh Libowitz. I don't know who he is. He's a rabbi uh, put out a nice packet and I decided why should I make my own packet if he did a good job already himself. You find that PDF? So, okay, so here are a few examples of Chibu Mitzvah. Let's look at source. Source 4. In the Talmud Bavli, in Masechet Yoma, on page 24.2, there's a question about which kind of clothing the Kohanim wore when they would pull their lots, you know, they would have a laundry in the Ben Mikdash. Which clothing did they wear when they were mefaisin? And uh, there's an argument among the rabbis with one opinion saying that they would wear special clothing. Special clothing to show how valuable this mitzvah was for them, how important this mitzvah was for them. From here you see the different Tamerich Chamim. Do wear special clothing. You know, it's kind of like when you go to a wedding, sometimes you'll wear your Shabbat clothing. Not because it's Shabbat, but because that's an important event for you in your week. And the same thing people do in other instances where they show a certain type of chibuv mitzvah in the way in which they dress. And there's no objective 
way to dress. It's a subjective feeling. This is the shirt that I like. These are the clothing that make me happy for this Chag. It's Chanukah. It's not a regular day of the year. So when I light my candles, I do, whatever it might be, it's a certain type of Chibuv Mitzvah through dress, for example. Uh, another type of Chibuv Mitzvah. This is interesting. Uh, look here on source number six. This is a commentary of Rashi on Masechet Rosh We talk a lot surrounding Rosh holiday with this idea of le'arbev ha-satan, to confuse the satan. You hear this a lot. Uh, we want to confuse the satan. Let me be honest with you, is that Rashi's understanding is obviously only one. There are many more rational and many more mystical understandings of this on either side of the spectrum that you're going to find yourself on to what does it mean to confuse the satan. Rashi says something interesting. Shiloyastin. We're trying to get the satan not to... Not to what, lastin is the, the verb of being a satan, to speak bad about Am Yisrael, to hold us back. The moment that a Kadosh Baruch hears that the Jewish people don't perform mitzvot, it's not that they're religious, that they follow halacha, it's that mitzvot. they actually enjoy the mitzvot, it's dear to them, the mitzvot are precious to them. They shut up the satan in heaven. What does it mean we're trying to confuse the Satan? We're trying to get the Satan to be shut up, to have his complaints denied. What action of the Jewish people makes the Satan's complaints denied? Not when the Jewish people are observant of Torah mitzvot. But when the Jewish people are, the mitzvot and the Torah are precious to them. The way they act towards those mitzvot are with endearment. Talmud Bavli, I read this to you on uh, Sukkot from the Rambam. The Talmud Bavli talks about the importance of performing the mitzvah of lulav with chibuv mitzvah, with endearment. And this is a classic example of somebody who's doing, it's even more than what they need to be doing. Let's read source 7. Tanya, Rabbi Elazar bar Tzadok Omer, Rabbi Elazar, the son of Tzadok says, this was the custom of the people of Jerusalem. The people of Jerusalem meaning the important people in Yerushalayim. Adam yotzemi beto. A person will leave his home in the morning. Velulavo biadon. He was holding his lulav. Holech lebevet atakneset. He would go to the bed atakneset. Lulavo biadon. His lulav was in his hand. Korek kriyat shema'ah mitpalel. He would say shema and he would pray. Velulavo biadon. And he was holding his lulav. Korek batorah vonoset kapav. When he would read in the Torah, and he would do Berkat Kohanim, he would have to put the lulav down, because I guess you needed, you couldn't, you, you needed your hands. A person went to go visit the sick, or to comfort the mourners. He's holding his lulav. He enters the Bet Midrash. And he sends the lulav home in the hands of his son or his servant or his messenger, his student, whoever it is. What are you trying to teach us from this story? What's the purpose of knowing how much the people of Yerushalayim held on to their lulav? In order to teach you how much the Jewish people are meticulous to do their mitzvot properly. This is an obsession almost with the lulav. That's okay. It's a chibuv mitzvah. They now find another terminology. Chibuv mitzvah, endearment of mitzvah, 
Now you find this term zirizin the mitzvot. To do mitzvot in the art scroll translation with alacrity. Now alacrity doesn't mean anything more than zirizut. Uh, because I don't think anybody knows what the word alacrity means on its own. But to do mitzvot, you, you rush to do mitzvot. Why do you rush to do mitzvot? Is there value to doing them quickly? What's the, what's the point of rushing to the mitzvot? Is the rushing a mitzvah? It just shows that you're excited and that it's important to you. Very good. It shows that you're excited and that's important to you. My sons, I bought them a set of Lego this week. They only get it in honor of Shabbat. So every day they want to know, is it Shabbat, is it Shabbat, is it Shabbat, is it Shabbat? Shabbat's important to me. That's why when you love something, you rush towards it. The same thing is true with our mitzvot. So you find the concept of zirizut, of performing mitzvot with alacrity, is really just another term for being, the mitzvot being dear to you. There's no value in rushing. The value is in showing how much this is important to you, that you would rush towards it like you would rush to something else that you like. Let's see what other examples we have here. Uh, Talmud Bavli in uh, 8 tells us that Rava, when he would drink the kos kiddush, let's say, or any blessing, a cup that he made a blessing on, a wine, he would take big gulps. Not like 7-Eleven, big gulps. Big gulps meaning larger than usual. The reason was to show you how much he loves this. Like when you drink something you really like. And again, Rashi in number 9 says, Mishum chibuv mitzvah. He did this to show how precious his mitzvah was to him. In source 10, when the Jewish people leave Egypt, and they take the matzot on their shoulders, Rashi is bothered, why are they taking the matzot on their shoulders? They have so many animals coming out with them, so many animals that are carrying out with them. Why carry the matzot on your shoulders? Of all the things to put on your shoulders, why matzot? Take a wild guess. Mishum, he says here, Rashi in verse 10, Even though they took much livestock with them, This mitzvah was so precious to them, that they would make sure to carry it on their shoulders, to show you just how much they love this mitzvah. I'm carrying it on my own, I don't want you to hold it for me. I want to hold it. Let's see what else I can pull out from here. Okay, look, here's an interesting source about the general value of performing mitzvot with joy, with happiness. Look uh, in source 13. This is the Rambam in the laws of Shofar, Sukkah, and Ulav, in the 8th chapter in Halakha 15. The Rambam writes, Hasimcha shismach adam ba'asiyat mitzvah the joy that a person should have when he performs a mitzvah, and the love of God who commanded him in these mitzvot, is a tremendous service of Hashem, to do mitzvot with joy. And any person who holds back this joy from himself, it's worthy that this person should be, have a consequence for not being joyful in the mitzvot. And he brings a proof text of because you did not serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu with joy, with a happy heart. And anybody who becomes haughty, arrogant in the mitzvot, and he gives himself honor, 
And he decides, I'm too good to show excitement over mitzvot. I'm too important to get excited over mitzvot. I'm too noble, I'm too rich, I'm too wealthy, I'm too honorable, I'm too uh, famous, I'm whatever it is that puts them in their mind. You recall the story of David HaMelech dancing in front of, you remember the story? David HaMelech dancing and his wife was not appreciative of him dancing. And he says, listen, I'd rather, this, is what, this is the reason why I'm dancing. The same thing with a person who's too arrogant to show joy, he's a sinner and a fool. And this is what Shlomo warned us about. There's an ending piece here. The only greatness that a person has is how much joy they show in front of Hashem. Like it says in Shemuel, that King David was dancing, and I don't have all the English words, was dancing and being joyous in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There's a commentary on the Rambam. It's called the Magid Mishneh. We've quoted him before. And the Magid Mishneh explains that this is a common theme throughout the Talmud. Look in source 14. The words of our Rabbi, the Rambam, they're clear, explicitly mentioned in a number of places in the Talmud. And the tractate of Shabbat, they write, that I praise the simcha, joy. That's the joy that a person has when they do the mitzvah. The main principle here is that person, it's incorrect for a person to observe mitzvot because they're forced to, because I have to, because the law requires me to do so, so I do it. And it's a burden on me. I'm forced to. A person is obligated to be happy, to be joyful when they do the mitzvot. I'm doing it and they make me happy. And this person chooses to do good because it is good. Then a person will choose to do what is true because it's true. And ultimately what happens when I love doing something, it's not so hard for me anymore. It's not a burden on me because I really like to do it. What a person will do for their spouse or for their children or for someone else they love. If you had to do that for somebody you don't love, it's a burden. But because you love them, it, it, you, it carries you. You're, you're not carrying this weight on your own. And you'll realize that it's for this reason that you were created. To worship our Creator. And I'm doing that which I was created to do. That, and a person will be so happy because most of the things in our life that bring us happy are from trivial, temporary joys that don't last forever. And the joy that we have when we perform mitzvot, when we study Torah, and when we study other wisdoms, that joy, that's true joy. That's true happiness. When you finally understand something, when you grasp something, when you make another accomplishment in wisdom, in Torah, in observance of mitzvot, that's joy. And here he quotes in source 15 from the book Dibrot Moshe. It could be that this Dibrod Moshe is Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, Rabbi Shalom. Could be. 
I didn't have it in front of me to look it up myself. And he writes here that the main difference between the Rambam and the Magid Mishneh, the Rambam is talking about mitzvot which have an obligation to do them in joy, like v'samachta b'chagecha, you have to be happy in your holiday. Whereas the Magid Mishneh is extending this idea to any mitzvah. Any mitzvah you have to be happy when you do it. I'll tell you the truth is I'm not certain. I respect that that's what Rabbi Moshe Feinstein wrote. I'm not certain that that's accurate. I don't think you have to read the Rambam like a Karite would read the Rambam. You read the Rambam, the Rambam's talking in general about the joy in which you perform mitzvot. He may be speaking about a specific mitzvah, but I, I'm not certain that you have to make this distinction. I think the Magid Mishneh is just commenting on the Rambam the way you would naturally read the Rambam. Maybe one last source that we'll do together from this source sheet. Rabbeinu Bachir, source 19. We're accused in the Torah of not serving a Kadosh Baruch with joy. We're being blamed by the Pasuk for serving Hashem that we didn't serve Hashem with joy. That we have to have joy when we perform mitzvot. Listen carefully. The joy that we have when we perform a mitzvah is its own mitzvah. It's a separate mitzvah. There's the performance of the mitzvah and there's a separate mitzvah of performing that mitzvah with joy. Aside from the reward that you receive for performing the mitzvah properly, there's an extra reward that you receive for being joyous while you perform the mitzvah. Valken, it's for that reason, that a person, ya'anish, a person will be punished. I mean, there is a consequence for not doing the mitzvah with joy. That a person must perform mitzvot with joy, with proper intention. Okay, this, the example is not relevant to us. Says the Rabbeinu Bachye that we need to know that there is a mitzvah to do mitzvot with happiness. It's a separate mitzvah. There's the mitzvah of performing mitzvot and there's the mitzvah of being joyous while we perform mitzvot. Again, like the concept of zirizut, what does joy when we do a mitzvah really show? The mitzvah of being joyous, what does it show about the mitzvot? The same thing that rushing to a mitzvah shows. That this mitzvah is dear to us. That's what it shows. That this mitzvah is dear to us. It's precious to us. Chibuv mitzvah. Remember this term. Chibuv mitzvah. This is my, this mitzvah is dear to me. It's not just another thing that I do. You know, I grew up very naive. What do I mean by naive? I grew up in San Diego. San Diego is a unique place, especially the part of San Diego I grew up in. I never met angry Jewish people. I might sound funny to you, but I really didn't hang around my life with angry Jewish people. So there were no like religious kids whose parents forced them to be... We had people that were not observant because they didn't want to be observant, or we had people that were observant because they wanted to be observant of mitzvot, and we never... I went to school, some of the kids in my class ate kosher, some of them didn't, some of them... Everyone did their own thing, and... 
there was no hatred. I never, my, I, my whole childhood, I don't recall experiencing any type of hatred towards Judaism. That all changed when I went to Yeshiva. When I went to Yeshiva, I found a whole world of individuals that were forced into Yeshiva because their parents wanted them to be a certain way. They only prayed because their parents made them pray, or they only did it, their rabbis made them do but they in themselves, if you would give them, the, the, the Amish have this term, they can go away for a, you know, a year and f- the, figure out the world. These are the guys who would go and they would never come back. I never met such a thing before. Mitzvot are a choice. When I was in 6th grade, 7th grade, 8th grade, the majority of my friends didn't keep Shabbat. Yeah, I grew up in a home that kept Shabbat, but my keeping Shabbat was a choice that I made consciously as a child to wear a kippah every day. Not all my classmates wore kippot. In school, maybe they had to, but out of school? My parents most definitely didn't force me to do, do these things. They encouraged, of course. Forced me? Not at all. Those are choices that you made. Chibuv mitzvah, when taught from a very young age, that Torah is important. It's worth making good decisions when it comes to Torah. The Rambam has this famous term we always quote, if you do things for the wrong reasons, you ultimately do them for the right reasons. We teach kids, come to the Beit Knesset. Zev will give you a lollipop at Yimloch. Come to your Apsher and your Chalaka. You lick the Aleph Bet with honey on the letters. Come, uh, why don't you do a mitzvah? You'll get a, whatever reward. Uh, you, you love Shabbat, get a set of Lego. You find the Fikoman. Everything that we do, incentives, incentives, incentives. Why? What about teaching them to be loving the mitzvot without any incentives? Because they're five and six and three and two and ten. And right now, that's not where they're at. But if you associate positivity with Torah mitzvot, of course they're going to want to do that when they get older. When it's not done that way, so nothing good comes out of that. Chibuv mitzvah, I think so much of the Jewish world that is religious, they call themselves religious. This is a Jewish community that lacks any basic understanding of endearing the mitzvot on people making the mitzvot precious to people. I love to keep Shabbat. That's why I keep Shabbat. I love to learn Torah. That's why I learn Torah. It makes me so happy to do X, Y, Z, because I love it. That is not something you study in a classroom. It's something you live. It's something you experience. Harapel has always told us that by the Hasidim, we're not Hasidim, don't get confused. We're not Hasidim. But by the Hasidim, there's an element of joy in everything that they do, especially the older Hasidim. I don't know about today's Hasidim. They dance when they do mitzvot, they sing when they do mitzvot, they all kinds of, they also a beautiful thing when they do mitzvot. It's a chibuv mitzvah. They're showing they love mitzvot. Chanukah is coming around. How many people for them Chanukah candles is, you go over the window wherever you light, the table wherever you light, and go, you mumble a few brachot, you light some candles, you go back to work, you go back to TV, you go back to sleep, whatever it is you do. Why not? Why not sit with your Hanukkah candles? Sing in front of your Hanukkah candles. Dance in front of your Hanukkah candles. Why do you have to leave your Hanukkah candles? For what reason? Chibuv mitzvah. I love that mitzvah. People always want to know when Shabbat ends. Who cares when Shabbat ends? Shabbat ends now at 5.30 in the evening. The same people who are rushing out of Shabbat at 5.30, they were able to keep Shabbat two months ago and it was going until 8.30. You always have people that are running out of the Bera Knesset to make it to dinner on Friday night on time. I don't judge anybody, so I don't judge anybody. But the same people who last week could eat dinner at 9 o'clock, now they have to eat dinner by 5.45, what happened? Chibuv mitzvah. To love mitzvah. By the way, 
If your chibub mitzvah means doing your kiddush early, so not coming to the better Knesset, that's also your chibub mitzvah. So you pray at a time which is good for you, eat at a time which is good for you, but to not run away from your Shabbat meal. It's a beautiful thing when you see people, they're able to sit together and share divrei Torah together and sing songs together. They eat nice food together. Also a chibub mitzvah. This concept is lacking in the Jewish community today. I think there's a little more to this. And there's a concept that I couldn't find the source. So I recall somewhere in my life seeing someone discuss this, but not an old source, a fairly recent source, but I'll share with you the idea that makes sense in my mind. We've done many controversial things as a Kilat Shemaim in San Diego. But one of the things that I got the most heat for in, in my whole career being in San Diego, I don't think even the people in Kilat Shemaim know this, something I got a tremendous amount of heat for, I can't even explain to you the things that came my direction, was that we bake our own matzot for Pesach. Our matzah bakery, I cannot even tell you the, what it triggered in people. Hashem Yishmo, what happened after that matzah bakery. You think of all the things we do, that was what made everybody upset. And let's put aside why they were upset, but I'll share with you why for me it's worth baking matzot. Time-wise, it's not worth it. It takes, it takes a whole day of back-breaking labor and weeks of preparation for these matzot. In terms of money, it doesn't make any sense either. You know, we bought shmura matzah flour last year for Pesach, $300 worth of matzah flour, only to not bake it because we couldn't get a matzah bakery together due to COVID. It doesn't make sense financially either. So for what reason do we bake matzot? I'll tell you why you bake matzot. Because you live in a world where we outsource everything to other people. People don't clean their own houses anymore. People don't wash their own dishes anymore. People don't do their own laundry anymore. I had a brother living in Manhattan for a long time. I went to his house. There's a service that comes to clean his house. There's a service that comes once a month to take all the bugs out of his house. Because over there they got all kinds of... Uh... There's a service that comes twice a week to pick up laundry, drop off laundry. There's a service that shops for you and delivers the food to your house. There's a service, you pay people to come to your house. All kinds of people have different things, they outsource other people. There are people that outsource raising their children to other people. They have to work all day, so there's a full-time nanny. There's a... All kinds of people have things they outsource to the whole world. You live in a world where we've outsourced almost all of our mitzvot. We don't bake our own matzot. The factory bakes the matzot for us. We don't pick our own lulavim and etogim. We order them for they come to us already in a box. We don't make our own Hanukkah wicks. I mean, some of you do. I know Baruch and Rachel make our own Hanukkah wicks. We don't press our own olive oil. We just buy it at the grocery store. We don't, we don't do anything anymore. Our Judaism is so disconnected from our hands, from our involvement. We are just, we're a commercialized version of Am Yisrael. There's a company in New York they're called Ner Mitzvah. God bless them. I'm not against them. It's simply it's a fascinating concept. These guys, anything that you could sell to Jewish people, they make. So you're going on a trip and you need to, what do you need? You need a Kiddush cup for Friday night with enough wine for Friday night. You need a Havdalah candle that only burns once because you don't need it for the whole. They'll sell you this kit. It's a little Kiddush cup with a little bottle of wine or grape juice. It has a Havdalah candle that big because it burns out after. It's everything they do for you. Chanukah set, they'll sell you the set. Uh, washing your hands, inflatable washing cups to keep in your car when you're camping. Everything is already someone else is doing the work for you. Last year they sent me a joke. It was a bag of Cheerios. And it said, you know, Ner Mitzvah. Uh, uh, sufganiyot seeds. Like, you're know, gonna plant your own sufganiyot and they're gonna grow for you for Hanukkah. This, everything they do for you. You don't do anything anymore. You don't think about anything anymore. 
And so for me, matzot, you sit at your Pesach Seder, you're talking about freedom, it's the matzot that our forefathers ate, you're eating some crunchy cracker that Manashevitz baked two years ago and put in a cardboard box in Vons. At the very least, for the seder that you're sitting and you're telling your kids a story, this is the bread that my forefathers ate. It wasn't a big saltine cracker without the salt in the machine. It's a real flat bread. It's a real matzah that we baked. I baked it with my own hands. Everybody in our kihilah, those who stay the whole day and some who come only for an hour, they come and they bake and we scrubbed and we cleaned and we, we kneaded the dough and we threw it in the fire. It's my matzot. Of course it cost me an arm and a leg. It costs everybody who is involved in the project an arm and a leg also. But it's the satisfaction of sitting at your Pesach Seder and I made something here. This is mine. When you give people ownership over mitzvot, I see people who come to the Beda Knesset. And those people who come, they don't have their own talit, they don't have their own sidur, they don't have their own kippah, they don't have their own tefillin. Every time they come, they borrow from everybody. Now that's why we have extra talitot, that's why we have extra tefillin. But it's your talit that you pray in. That's what you pray in every day. It's what you pray in every Shabbat. It's yours. Why would you want to use someone else's? There's a certain chibuv mitzvah. Is it a halakhic obligation? I'm not teaching halakha on Thursday night. It's Agadah class. There's a certain amount of connection to mitzvah. That's your mitzvah. This is yours. You own it. It's precious to you. And if we would give people the ability to own their mitzvot in whichever way we can, at the very least, you know, when it comes to Sukkot. So I don't have the luxury, like in a big city, to have thousands of lulavim and etogim. But at the very least, what I like to do is instead of making sets for people, is to put out a box of lulavim, put out a table of aravot, put a, choose your own etog from the category which you, choose one. I look for it. At least it, it participates somewhat in this. You didn't pick it from your own tree. We're not there yet. But at the very least, you chose it. It's yours. You brought this home because it's yours. And so I want to bring to you one last source for tonight. Before we call it a night. I was going to read to you the Pelioets. Will you give me a few more minutes of your time to, to do both sources? Is it okay with you? Let's do the Pelioets. I sent the link. Uh, if you look in the stream or in the, also in the classwork section, you'll see Pelioets. It should say Cheshek V'chiba. That's what it should be called. You find the link over there to Safaria? The Pelevets writes, it's a, Pelevets is a beautiful book written by Rabbi Eliezer Papo. Rabbi Eliezer Papo was a Safari Chacham who wrote many works. I'm a big, I have almost every work that he wrote. Almost. I just discovered tonight when I was preparing the shiur that there's one work of his that I don't own because it wasn't printed. So I'm, I'm working on it right now. And, but, but for the most part, everything that he wrote and, and his books are sweeter than, than honey. He writes the following in his book of Musal, Peliwetz, under the letter Chet. Cheshek v'chiba, desire and endearment. Cheshek v'chiba tzricha rabba lechol davar shebechova. Every obligatory part of our Torah requires that it be accompanied both with desire and with uh, dearness. The Torah, with anything in life that you do, there has to be some kind of desire towards it. 
It's the kind of thing that you cannot legislate. It's, it's something that your heart is in charge or responsible for. And you need help from heaven. And when a couple comes to a rabbi and they ask for advice, they come to a therapist, they ask for advice, and you see that there's just, there's no spark over here anymore. I can't ignite your spark. I can't do it. It's, it's beyond, I could tell you to do this, to do that, to go to a therapist, to talk to each other. To, but aside from that, the part that is, is dictated by your heart, only you can do. I can't do it for you. So you have to pray that you should be given desire towards mitzvot. We know that it's our obligation to serve our Creator with desire, with endearment, with, with, with joy. But what can we do that for some reason our body holds us back, our, we're not able to connect on that emotional level to the mitzvot. And we also have the inability as people who are uh, struggling with avirot, with chataim, to realize just how important the mitzvot that we do are and how happy they make a kadosh baruch We don't always see that. When we're faced with the mitzvah, then it's choosing between what I want and the mitzvah. We don't always know how to properly align our wants with what makes HaKadosh Buhu happy and proud. And he talks about how much we have to work on this midah. We need to pray for it. It's something we have to actively involve ourselves in. To work hard to have love towards the mitzvot. I'm going to leave this source here. There's so much more he writes. I'm going to leave it here. Peli by the way, I heard it was translated to English. I've never yet seen a Hebrew-English translation. It's a book that every Jewish home should have. I know that Rabbi Mark Angel made an abridged version, like the, it's called the Essential Pelioet, so it has been out of print for a number of years. I randomly see copies floating around in the market. Uh, one last source that I wanted to bring to you, it should look like this. You should have a, a source that's called Damesek Eliezer. It's called Damesek Eliezer. It says Papo in parentheses. Now this book is written by Rabbi Eliezer Papo also, but not the same one. It's written by Rabbi Eliezer Papo about a generation afterwards. It seems like, and I don't have proof, but it seems like this Rabbi Eliezer Papo is a descendant of the Rabbi Eliezer Papo who wrote the Pedioets. But I don't have proof to that aside from that he quotes him very often and it only makes sense that his name, his location, everything matches up in that regard. He wrote a number of works. He lived in Yerushalayim. This book was printed in 1882. 1882, and I only gave you the first page and then one page from the middle. This was a page in the middle of the book. So there's going to be a number of bold words on the second page. It says, Maser, bold, skip it. Mezuzah, bold, skip it. Mezuzah, bold, skip it. Mezuzah, bold, skip it. We're in the fourth time where it says Mezuzah, the fourth one. It's a big paragraph in the middle of the page. You see that? Let's read together. Hagon Rabbi Akiva Egel, the great genius Rabbi Akiva Egel, one of Chachmei Ashkenaz, betshuvotav in his letters, Siman Chavchet, Nunchet maybe I don't know what that is. It seems like a Nun, in fifty-eight. Katav he writes. 
And this was so common in the yeshiva that I went to in Baltimore. Many of the Tamil Chamim there, they believe very much in what I'm about to read to you. And if the Rabbanit was here, she would fall out of her chair. There is no origin for this custom to kiss the mezuzah in any place in the Talmud. Let's skip a line. And the masses, they put their hands in the mezuzah, and they kiss their hands. In Israel, there's a derogatory term for traditional Israelis, not really, traditional Israelis. They call them mezuzah kissers. That's what they call them. It's like a, a they use it in the news, media, a lot of times they, they mock them in this way. You're such a rational thinking person and all of a sudden you kiss that pagan artifact on your door, this primitive belief that you have. It's one of those things that's a, very much attacked in modern Israeli society. They touch the mezuzah and they kiss their fingertips. When they point to the Seva Torah, they kiss their hands after they point to the Seva Torah. Says Rabbi Akiva Eger, this is a nonsensical and stupid custom. It's such a foolish thing to do. He said, what do you think? That when you touch a Sevot Torah, you touch a Mezuzah, the holiness has gravitated off of the Sevot Torah and now been absorbed into your fingertips, so you should be kissing your hand. There's a mitzvah to kiss the Torah, to kiss the Mezuzah, but not the hands that touch them. We find that our Chachamim did kiss their tefillin, actual the tefillin, but they didn't kiss their fingers after they touched the tefillin. And now steps in Rabbi Eliezer Papo the second, and he writes, "V'shari le'mare." This is an Aramaic term which means, and may his master in heaven forgive him for his words. So now Rabbi Eliezer Papo is arguing with Rabbi Akiva Eger. And he's saying, may Hashem forgive Rabbi Akiva Eger for what he just wrote. He called it a silly, nonsensical custom. Adraba, to the contrary. This is the endearment of a mitzvah. That even the hands, the fingers that touch the mezuzah, the sefer Torah, the tefillin, even those hands we kiss them. That's how much we love our sefer Torah, that even if my hands touch the sefer Torah, I want to kiss them. Sorry, this is a... Uh, it's hard print. That the people, they uh, wash their face or they rub onto their face the wine of Havdalah. There's no reason to do that. None in Halakha, at least. To show how much I love the wine, I even want it on my face. My father-in-law does this. That after they extinguish the Havdalah candle, they smell the Havdalah candle. 
All of this is done in order to show how much we love the mitzvah. So then that's why you see that the people kiss the matzah. They kiss the maror on, the, on, on Pesach by the seder. Like Rabbi Shayao Levi Horowitz writes in his book, The Shla. What do you think? There's any kind of holiness in a cracker or in a, a in maror in a Roman lettuce? This is just a sign of how precious these mitzvot are to us. He says, and you should just know that there are so many beautiful customs like this among the Jewish people. This custom of showing endearment to the mitzvot. Now you know me, and you know that normally we might fall out on the side of this that is very dry and cold, but to the contrary, this chibuv mitzvah concept is crucial. It's crucial to Am Yisrael. Our chachamim, my chachamim, my rabbis believed in this very much. So much so that it doesn't make a difference what that rabbi is going to tell you. The ladies are going to hug and kiss the Torah. It's chibuv mitzvah. There's a famous story, and I'll end with this for tonight. There was a set of books called Halichot Musar. Someone had written down like a pirated version of Rabbi Vadi Yosef's classes that he used to give. And I guess they made one printing of it. I have never been able to get my hands on a copy of it. It's not printed anymore. Uh, once I found two volumes of it in a random auction, and I didn't win. So I don't have it. But I saw, maybe when I was 15 or 16, I saw in there, that there was a story shared about Rabbi Bar Yosef, Alam Shalom. You know, he had a Shas political party, not a Shas supporter, but a Shas political party. And the billboard that he ran, or his organization ran, was a picture of a beautiful Seva Torah, and there was a lady whose hand was pointing at the Seva Torah. And that was the advertisement. It was like, you know, traditional Jews who like to kiss Sifrei Torah, we're, vote for us. And the Ashkenazi ultra-Orthodox uh, rabbinate went crazy crazy, writing letters to everybody who said, tear down the signs, we'll boycott your party, you guys are not religious anymore, how dare you put up a picture of a woman's hand on a billboard, all these men are looking at a woman's hand, da, 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 da. okay, everybody Yosef responded to them very simply, he said, if only you would know how precious it is to when a woman reaches out her hand to point to the Seventh Torah, you wouldn't write to me such stupid letters, that was his response to the media. If only you would know how precious it was that Gadosh Baruch you wouldn't write to me such stupid letters. And I think that this is something that we're missing in our Judaism of today. Regesh, a certain amount of emotion, a feeling, of being involved in our mitzvot. Who cares what they're going to say about you? Who cares what people are going to think about you? It's your mitzvah to make mitzvot precious. And as much as you can to do mitzvot on your own instead of delegating them to other people, any mitzvah in the house. So it's Shabbat candles, so we know the husbands are also involved. If it's setting up the Shabbat candles or putting the oil in the Shabbat candles, it was other mitzvot. I saw places where different family members would fold up. Some, I would see children folding up their father's tefillin. When I bought a talit for Yom Kippur, I have a special talit for Rosh Hashanah So my wife and I, we tied the talit together. Also her chibub mitzvah. Don't get scared. A woman tying a talit is permitted in halakha. Maybe not for Ashkenazim, but for uh, the rest of Am Yisrael, of course. To show participation. That's my mitzvah. I want to own this mitzvah. You know how to tie strings. You know how to tie knots. You make them on your food bags and everything else. So why do you still wear tzitziot that a factory tied for you? Yeah, a few dollars, you can buy your own strings. Tie your own tzitziot. Then it's yours. 
It's your, you wore this clothing. But there's no limit to what Chibuv Mitzvah can bring us to. But says the Ben Ishchai in Benayahu Ben Yoyada, that the reason why the Kohanim chose between a biblical commandment of Kriyat Shema and the Mitzvah of Terumah is because Terumah was theirs. It's my Mitzvah. You can take away every Mitzvah from me except for the ones that I own. And I think that we look towards ourselves, towards our children, educating the Jewish future. How do I know that in 20 years and 30 years and 50 years, when we're faced with something that we won't abandon these mitzvot? I think the answer to that question is how much chibuv mitzvah is it? How much of this mitzvah is it yours? How, how, how much ownership over this mitzvah do you have? And when the answer is, this is my mitzvah. I don't care what you're going to do to me. This is my mitzvah. I think that's why you can look around the Jewish world and it's really touching to see different Jewish people and different levels of the observant spectrum. You see Jews that come, they don't necessarily eat kosher, they don't necessarily keep Shabbat, but they come for Selichot. Why? For whatever reason, Selichot is their mitzvah, and they're not going to miss the 40 days of Selichot. Yeah, people that Chanukah is their thing. People like to make fun of the Yom Kippur Jews. They're the ones that they buy matzah for Pesach. It's like, oh, look at these Jews. They come out of their holes to go buy matzah for Pesach. But you know what this mitzvah means? It means that somewhere in this person's life, the mitzvah of matzah was so deeply ingrained in them that this is their Judaism. Can you imagine if instead of just ingraining one mitzvah, we could ingrain 613 mitzvot into people that way? I think that the first part of this Mishnah is teaching you that if you want, when do you say Shema? Really, from when do you say Shema? You begin to say Shema when you truly make Shema Israel yours. When this stops being a public, generic mitzvah and begins to become your mitzvah. In the moment when it becomes your mitzvah, from then on, that mitzvah is yours. And nobody on earth can take that mitzvah away from you. Because all next week, we're going to be touching on a piece from the Ben Ishchai's son. Many of you might not know, the Ben Ishchai, Rabbi Yaakov, uh, Rabbi Yosef Chaim had a son, Rabbi Yaakov, who was the son of the Rabbi Yosef Chaim Baghdad. He became the next chief rabbi of Baghdad after his, his father passed away. I found a book recently, maybe two years ago, of the Ben Ishchai's son's commentaries on the Agadah. And I'm excited because it's the first time in public that I'll ever be sharing a piece from him. And God willing, we'll be doing that next week here in the Shio and possibly even entering into the world of Arav Kuk. If we don't do that next week, then that will be in two weeks from now. I wish everybody a beautiful, beautiful uh, night. Everyone should have a Shabbat Shalom when it comes, God willing.